Welcome to the Bible Talk Podcast. I'm J.T. Carlson. And I'm Jeremiah Cox. We encourage you to search the scriptures with us as we consider God's will for us. Welcome you all back to our Bible study we have here on Bible on the Bible Talk podcast as we continue with our study in Acts chapter 3. Last time we went through verses 1 through 11 where we laid out uh, Peter and John coming to the temple, uh, coming to this gate called Beautiful and uh, seeing a lame man from birth. The man that we noted last time uh, is, uh, we see from Acts chapter 4, is 40 years old. And, and as a result of all these types of things, he was laid at the, the uh, gate called Beautiful Daily. A notable miracle was done. And so after this notable miracle was done, we see in verse 11 that the people or sorry, in verse 10, uh, that the people were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened because they knew that a miracle had been done. They couldn't deny it. And so they're wondering, uh, you know, what happened to him and all these types of things. Then we get into verse 11. Now, as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together uh, to them in the porch, uh, in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So they're greatly amazed. They come to Peter. They come to John. Now, recognizing the fact that it was through uh, these men that, uh, well, at least they believe it's through these men that, a mir- that, that this was done, and they're wondering what's going on. And Peter sees a great opportunity here to preach a sermon. And that's exactly what he gets into. And he really gets, at least what's recorded for us, right to the point pretty quickly. Okay, So we'll go ahead and read verses 12 through 16 to start. Okay. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in him, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So one of the first things that we note is these people come to Peter and John and they're amazed about what has happened. And they're looking at them like, what did you guys do? I mean, how did you guys do this? As in all honesty, just about anybody would, right? A notable miracle has been made and uh, has been uh, done in their presence. And who are these guys? And real quickly... Peter shifts the, uh, the the focus from, look, this isn't for me. We didn't do this. This isn't from our power. This is from Jesus. And that is really important to note and to know that uh, these men who uh, are the apostles and go out and preach and teach the gospel and work these miracles, they never took any of it like we did this out of our own power or ability Everything was shifted back towards a focus on God, back towards a focus on Jesus. And really, even whenever he, uh, you know, uh, performed the miracle, we see his statement in Acts 3, verse 6, that 
It's not by my power, not by my authority, mm-hmm. but in the name of, that being in the authority of, in the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is through him that uh, you uh, are going to receive the ability to walk. And so it's important for us to note that, especially whenever you think today, anything that we are going to do, whenever it comes to teaching and preaching God's word, spreading that message, right. note that it ain't from us. This is the message and the power uh, of salvation is through God and through his word. That's a great point. And this is something that they're going to have to, to you know, um, work through and deal with throughout their ministry. We'll see it in chapter 14 with Paul in Iconium and Lystra, where they bowed down to start worshiping them when they performed yep. a miracle. And, and uh, of course, he shifts the focus to God. This is God who's doing these things. And and like you said, JT, it's it's not applicable to us today in regard to miracles, but certainly in the preaching of the gospel, the same power that is used to work these miracles is offered us in the gospel toward our salvation. Romans 1.16 tells us that the power of salvation is in the gospel. And when we save souls through the preaching of the message, all glory goes to God. It's not about our intellect or our ability and, and the way we can speak and, and persuade people, but the power is in the gospel. And those who are true gospel preachers and Christians trying to make disciples of nations, are, they're going to recognize that and they're always going to bring the glory to God. And, and that's what Paul said in Gal- Galatians 6 when he says, I glory in the cross of Christ. Um, he doesn't glory in his own ability. He's not doing this um, to gain a following himself, but to give the glory to God and to Christ. That's exactly right, because that's something that would have been very easily, you know, easy to do is, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, this miracle has worked and, and take a lot. Uh, I mean, at least even a part of that credit, but they took none of it. Right. We need to make sure we understand where it needs to be and keep it there. Not let these things go to our head. And like you said, what's a, what's uh, applicable to us today is in the teaching and the preaching of God's word. There are so many out there, though, that would uh, take that and, and let it go to their head, for lack of a better term, and build themselves up. And that's not where it's at. And the problem with that is this. Whenever you go down that path, what you end up starting to do is say, yeah, it is me. And you start to see less and less of God being actually talked about, God's word actually being presented to an individual. Yeah. And you just have uh, man's thoughts and wisdom. And that's not what saves. God's word is what saves. And so these, uh, Peter and John, no doubt, make sure everybody knows where this comes from and notes where that uh, miracle was done and what the faith needs to be in. The faith that doesn't, it's not in man. It's not anything that we have the ability to do, but the faith is in Jesus, and uh, it's important that that uh, they establish that, and they do. One of the things I did want to point out, I don't think uh, I necessarily connected verse 16 the last time we talk about miracles and the notable miracle was done. Uh, Peter mentions it in verse 16, him has given, uh, through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He was, again, completely healed. I know we mentioned that, but this is a verse that can be applied to that complete healing in the presence of all. Uh, and again, who it was done, it was done through faith uh, in, in his name, through faith in Jesus. So he starts off by shifting that focus away from him and from John and saying, look, this, is, this didn't come from us. This came from Jesus. And then he goes right into a 
sir, uh, sermon, and he is really, he doesn't, <laughs> there, there's like, you talk about the climax of the sermon, like the climax is like here at the beginning, he gets right to the point of what has happened and what yeah. they did. He doesn't uh, make any bones about it. And, and really you see that even, you know, in the uh, sermon that we have recorded on the day of Pentecost, getting right to it and, and telling them what they have done and what has happened. He says here in verses um, 13 through 15, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and Just One as for murder be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. I was reading uh, from some stuff earlier, and I really liked how this was put, uh, taking this and just kind of breaking it down and understanding what Peter is telling them. Peter's telling them that you rejected the one who God, who the God of our fathers glorified and offered him up to die. He's telling them, you rejected the one that the God of our fathers, who we all look up to, our fathers, you rejected that one who the God of our fathers glorified. And not only that, but whenever the heathen ruler, that being Pilate, declared him as innocent, you still asked yeah. for his blood. Even though somebody completely removed from him was like, this is an innocent man. You still asked for his blood. And you did this knowing that he was a just and innocent a holy man and asked for the release of a murderer instead. And in doing so, you killed the prince of life. I just thought that that was really well put, um, you know, as far as uh, breaking it down for me, for whatever reason, it just kind of clicked like, and he's really getting, he's really telling these people what has been done. And it was similar to what he said uh, in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost, but pointing out the fact that you killed the one whom the God of our fathers glorified. Right. And it's, it's important to note that in this, he's still preaching to Jews and he's especially Mm going to make those connections as he goes on through and he's he's drawing their attention to everything they looked forward to from the old testament their ancestors their fathers the patriarchs all the promises and the covenants given to them and all that was pointed to in regard to the messiah who they thought they were still looking forward to and he's making all of these connections but then he's drawing that to the connection of jesus as he did in acts chapter 2 they knew who jesus was And on on the day of Pentecost, it says 3,000 souls were added to them. 2,000 more are added after this event we'll Mm -hmm. see in chapter 4. So 5,000 in total. And so it's not hard to to reason that a lot of these people who are saved likely heard that message on Pentecost. And they're not... They're not fully persuaded. And so here's this other miracle that's notable that's being performed. And he's going to blame them for doing the same things. And they're not fully convinced that what they did was wrong. They thought Jesus was an imposter. But now they see something that's even more persuasive for them. And that's why Peter's connecting this. He, he jumps straight into, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accuse you of the same thing I accused you however long before uh, Pentecost was when you heard that message. And now you see this miracle, which I guess for some reason is a little more convincing to you than the speaking in tongues. And we're claiming the same power from Jesus in this miracle. And so you need to start, you know, thinking about what you've done. And that's why he's going to call them to, to repentance. This is the Holy One. That is the one set apart. He's the Messiah. He is just. He was innocent from sin. Um, and he's the Prince of Life, which I find some irony in that because the one that they 
actually asked to be delivered that Pilate gave to them was a murderer. Right. And this one is the prince or originator and sustainer, the, the author of life, the authority of life, the one who they looked forward to, the one who would deliver them, who would give them life, although they had a misunderstanding of what that actually meant in the Messiah. And they killed the one they were looking for the whole time. Um, they destroyed him. And so um, there's proof positive of this and this man's healing. And um, this is certainly going to drive the point home to them um, in the connection made with with this miracle and attributing that power to the one they crucified. They would have to come to terms with that. Well, that's exactly right. And I think you make a really good point whenever you uh, bring out that mo- most likely, more than likely, these people had heard that previous sermon, uh, had seen the fact that a miracle is done with the speaking in tongues. And what it shows us, uh, I believe, is this, is you don't back away from preaching the truth just because somebody denies it. You keep yeah. preaching that same message and that same truth to them. That's what's going to save them, not going in a different direction. We see them continue to preach the same thing to these people and also have an understanding uh, from our end or those who might be proclaiming the gospel, have an understanding that God is patient, long-suffering with all, like we see in 2 Peter 3, 9. And sometimes it takes saying that message again and again and again, and it'll eventually work its way on that right heart and convict that right heart. So don't be discouraged. If you preach a message or if you teach and you thought, you, you know, you, you think, man, how, how are they denying this? Don't be discouraged. Just keep on keeping on. Keep on preaching and teaching that message. And uh, if the heart is right, they will be convicted like these people eventually were that might not have been on the day of Pentecost. That's a great point. And it may just take hearing the same thing in a different way. Yep. And so this is not the exact sermon that Peter preached. We see it by the words. The words are different. He's not saying the exact same things, although it's the same message, but with a different miracle and also, you know, a different day, you know. Yep. And and so their their mind may be in a different spot, whatever it may be. Or maybe they've been chewing on the sermon from Acts chapter 2 all of this time. And, and they just need a little more convincing. And like you said, God is so gracious with his time he's giving to us and and the people who haven't obeyed the gospel need to know that but also the people who are preaching the gospel need mm-hmm. to be assured of that that there's power in the gospel and that maybe just time is what is needed for those souls to come to terms with it and obey it that's exactly right and so he starts off here and like i said he he gets right at that point um and and tells them what they did once again uh th- then you get to verse 16 which i kind of already talked about previously um you know but he brings out brings back out that fact that look that one that you crucified that was uh you know talked about throughout and all those different types of things um it's through him and faith in him that this one is healed. So, you know, going down the path and, and proving uh, that one that was raised from the dead that we're preaching about that you crucified, it is through faith in him that this one is healed. So then he's going to make that application. So here's what you need to do as right. a result of that. And that's what he gets into here in verses 17 through 21. Do you have anything else on? Uh, well, I just want to point out that, that yeah, that accusation that he already brought to them on the day of Pentecost that you you murdered Jesus and he was the Messiah. It's sandwiched in by the the reference to the miracle that's just occurred. So this lame man is holding on to Peter and John, not not for help in walking, right. but because he 
you know, they just did something wonderful for him. So there's that connection being made. This man that we know is miraculously walking, he shouldn't be able to walk. Well, he's with these men. They they had something to do with this, and that's why they asked this question and or why why Peter addressed this. Why are you looking at us as if we did this? And and that's why he accuses them of killing Jesus and then wraps it up in verse 16 that all of this that's happening, this obvious miracle, this this divine power, it's not from us, it's from the man you murdered. Yep. And so you need to start thinking about this, that this was really the Messiah. Um, and so the, it, this is really, I mean, obviously by the inspiration of the Spirit, but this is really well done. It's laid yeah. out and the connections being made and emphasized um, that the man you killed is your God and right. you need to you need to be right with him. No, that that's exactly right. And that's a real good point in, in bringing all together where Peter is, bringing it back to that point of this man right here that you see that a miracle has worked. The, the miracle was done through the one that you killed. And so what does that then mean to you? And that's where he gets to into this application, what you need to do, what you need to understand and recognize. He says in verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of of all pro, uh, by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So he starts off saying, "Yeah, now, brethren, I know that you did this in, in ignorance, as did also your rulers." What I want us to see and, re- and, and understand is this: although they did this in ignorance, right? Yeah. They didn't necessarily know that they were crucifying Jesus, as in the Son of God. Right. That did not excuse them from the sin that they committed. It did not excuse them from what they did that was wrong. And we need to understand that because there's a lot of times people that might be, uh, that, that are out there from time saying, well, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that that was wrong. I didn't know that that was a command and all those. Just because a sin's committed in ignorance does not mean that it does not need to be corrected. And we see here point that it needs to be corrected, that needs to be repented of, and you need uh, to make that change from that. So, um, you know, he points that out. It did not excuse them from their sin. And what they needed to do is they needed to, as we read in verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. It's interesting here, right? Because we look back in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and what we talked about from that is Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And one of the things that we talked about heavily is baptism is essential. Yeah. One will come to this passage and say, well, baptism isn't essential. If it was, it would be right here. How would we possibly go through discussing that? Well, I think it's obviously parallel to chapter 2 and verse 38. He said, you know, on each and every point, he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Here he says, repent and be converted so that times of refreshing may come. Mm-hmm. And so repent's obviously the, the same. That's a change of mind leading to action. But conversion that is turning to the one that you're mm-hmm. amenable to in his law the one you're responsible to submitting to that happens in baptism it's it's that turning from darkness to light in the power of Satan to God as Paul 
in recounting his conversion, said that Jesus shows him to do, go to the Gentiles to turn them in that way. And so it's a submission to the authority of, it's it's where you're added to the body of Christ and therefore you're in his kingdom and that's a representation of authority. You're under his authority, you're under his control. And that through a willingness, it's through free will that you're doing this. And and it's all laid out there from verse 38 of chapter 2 and verse 19 of chapter 3 in a parallel form. Repentance, conversion and baptism are the same. And the times of refreshing is equal to the re- receiving the forgiveness of sins. And what's more refreshing um, than that? He didn't have to say baptize because they knew what he was saying. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to the point that you made. More than likely, so many of these would have already heard that first sermon. And so baptism would have already been something that they knew, right? Uh, We read in uh, Acts chapter 2, after the account and the baptism and everything like that, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, what was the apostles' doctrine? Part of that would have been baptism. It would have been something that would have been practiced by these Christians. They would have known that that would have been a thing. You know, he talks about here in, in verse 19 that your sins may... Uh, be blotted out, right? Be blotted out, be removed. Well, we read in Romans chapter 6, whenever we see the account uh, or uh, Paul talking there and discussing what happens in baptism, one of the things he says is knowing that our old man was crucified, this is what happens whenever you're baptized, that the sin, that the body of sin may be done away with. Right. And you should no longer be slaves to sin. And so that body of sin, the blotting out of sin, the remission of sins, the times are refreshing, all that happens when? In baptism. He didn't need to go back and go necessarily uh, restate that fact. That would be something that they would have known and uh, that they would have understood as is um, required along with that. So, um, so, you know, he tells them essentially what we see here is, you know, Peter's starting off that Jesus is the one who you crucified. And then he gets into Jesus, the one who offers you the forgiveness of sins through him. You can be made right. One of the things I do want to point out here is in this section, there might appear to be a little bit of a contradiction. Uh, And I know we've talked about this a little bit before. We talked about prophecies from the Old Testament, uh, talking about Jesus being crucified and those crucify him. And how do you... Um, how, how does that uh, kind of go together? How does that fit whenever you look at the fact that man has free will? Because here in verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer has thus been fulfilled. So then you go to the, to the standpoint of, all right, so how is it that, uh, you know, that it was prophesied that God knew that this was going to happen, but yet man still has free will? Would not God be in control of everything. It's one of those things that we got to understand is that God knows the hearts of men and how men are going to respond and how they are going to react to things, but he can use the hearts of men to carry out his, his will. He knew that uh, these hearts would be there. And as a result of that, that uh, the prophecies were done and that Christ would be one that, that was crucified. It doesn't have to be what I'm trying to say, an either or type thing, right? right. Right. And not all rejected the Christ. Exactly right. So it's not it's not as if every single Jew was corrupt in their heart. There were certainly even the apostles who in a time of turmoil and and temptation and trial, you know, folded under the pressure. But, you know, in Acts chapter one, you you have all of those people that are together as believers before the kingdom is established. And they were the people who were following Jesus 
beforehand. They right. might not have done what they needed to do in full faith of stepping up and stopping him from being murdered and stuff and being murdered with him and their faith failed to a certain degree, but they hadn't just outright rejected him. But there were a ton of people, the majority that would, and and God's always able to take the the sinful decisions men makes, and if it's his will, use them to further his purposes. We see that throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, and it's no different in pattern um, in the New Testament. No, that's exactly right. And one of the things that I believe it does, it actually shows God's power and ability to a greater extent than him just literally being in control of everything is for his will to still be done. Yeah. Although man has free will. And um, we we must not forget that man uh, has free will. It's one of the important aspects of the Bible uh, and one of the important aspects whenever we're talking about the doctrine of Christ. So, um, you know, so he he lays this out there and, and he talks about that. Uh, and then uh, one of the things that he gets to is he starts talking about um, in verse 22 about the prophets uh, and the fact that this was uh, that Jesus was one that was prophesied about. And we kind of just talked about that. He mentioned it in verse 18, but in verse 22, he talks about for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord, your God will raise up for your prophet for you, a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold uh, or foretold these days. And so what he's doing is going back and pointing out this is something that has been prophesied multiple times and prophesied throughout. This isn't something that, uh, you know, was just this one little part that uh, you might have missed. This thing was thrown in there, scattered out. This thing was prophesied throughout um, in reference to, uh, you know, uh, Moses's um, prophecy there. Uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. We know that Jesus came uh, from Judah. We see that in Hebrews uh, 7.14. We also see that at the start of the gospel accounts whenever we have the genealogy where he came from. And that he was one that is to be heard. You shall hear him in all things, whatever he says to you. We see that God gave him authority in Matthew 17, verse 5. He said, this is my beloved son, whom I, will, who I am well pleased to hear him. And Jesus also said in Matthew 28, 18, that he has all authority. And so this is something that uh, was prophesied about. And then we see the fulfillment of. It's not like, hey, all of a sudden there's this man, Jesus, that has never been talked about. Now all of a sudden miracles worked and on behalf of his right. name and we're to believe him. Go back and go look at the prophets. This is something that's been talked yeah. about throughout. And this is not something they didn't know about. That's the connection with the man Jesus that Peter and John are making. And mm-hmm. that's to the Jews. They preach all of these things and they know everything they're talking about as far as prophecy from the Old Testament. There are some things that they didn't have a full understanding of of the connection of the Messiah, like the suffering passages of Acts or Isaiah 53 and such and so on and so forth that they wouldn't have ever pictured the great Messiah, the king um, of the Messianic kingdom, being a suffering servant, um, but he would be some political deliverer and such with great power and would never, ever fold under anybody else's power and hands. But um, he's he's pointing out to them that you murdered him. He's kind of knocking them down, humbling them. And he's showing them that, uh, that they murdered and killed the one that would always bring all of these blessings and deliverance, all of these things you're waiting for, looking forward to the, the whole 
point of being a Jew in your mind and the blessings that affords you in contrast to everyone else in the world, everything you're so wrapped up in, you lost it all when you killed this man. But wait a second, it was done for you. And now don't reject it outright. This is an offering for you. It's being fulfilled in Jesus. And and if you just believe in him, you can receive all of those things you've always looked forward to. But also you'll lose it all if you reject the one that it's fulfilled in. And so he kind of humbles them so that they can be exalted, as the scripture tells us we need to do ourselves, um, get them to the realization of what they've done and what they've lost because they've done, but also the grace of God and that he's offering it to them and it can be fulfilled in them like they always wanted. That's exactly right. And that's how he wraps this thing up, right? He starts then goes from the prophecies and says, look, there was that seed that was promised to Abraham. That's what he says here in verse 25 through 26, that uh, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, verse 26, God, having raised up the servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away everyone, uh, every one of you from your iniquities. And we know that that was going to be the case, that the gospel was going to be preached to the Jews in Jerusalem first, that they were going to be the first ones that it was going to be preached to. And uh, God has raised up that servant Jesus who you killed. But there's those blessings that are there. If you turn uh, away from what you're currently doing, your iniquities, and follow him. And that's where he wraps us up, and that's where he lays out what needs to be done, right? And so we see the fact that you've sinned, right? And you've killed Jesus. This miracle that was worked was done in his name. It's evidence that he is and who we're talking about. And, And this message we're giving you is truth. It was prophesied throughout but there is still hope for you. Right. There's still that hope for you if you will believe in him, if you'll turn for your, from your iniquities and follow him. Yeah. I just point one more thing out that in verse 20, he gives a, a reason for their needing to repent and be converted. First, that their sins would be blotted out and times of refreshing may come, but also that he may send Jesus Christ who has mm-hmm. preached to you before. And I think that's in distinction from verse 26 to you first God having raised up Jesus sent him to bless you. He sent him in the preaching of the gospel to bless them, but they need to obey that gospel so that he can send him in the second coming and final judgment. And and all of that, what it indicates to me, at least one of the points we can make is that these blessings are immediate in regard to the remission of sins, but the ultimate fulfillment of, of being in heaven and all that this points to and the realization of our hope, you know, we've got to live our lives. It doesn't right. happen until Jesus is sent again. And so while chapter three is such a positive chapter, really, and, and the preaching of Jesus and people being saved, chapter four picks up with the consequences of doing the Lord's will and the things that we've got to endure until Jesus is sent again. And we've got to endure them in faith so that we're right with God when he does come again. That's a real good point. And the fact that they see this notable miracle that was been that has been done, the saying it's done in his name, would lead them to believe, okay, they're saying he's come back a second time. Just keep on keeping on because they're going to have to, as yeah. you said, whenever we get in Acts chapter 4 and then in various other places throughout Acts, you see what they have to endure in teaching and preaching Jesus, but just being a follower of her, a follower of his as well. Right. Well, that wraps up this episode. This was a little bit longer than last one. We kind of figured that it would be. Hope, uh, hopefully, you guys have been finding these studies edifying and helpful to you. If you have any questions, please reach out to uh, myself or to Jeremiah. We'd love to sit down with you to talk about these things and to have an open Bible study with you.